listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. We start a new series today, a Lenten series, one in which we have titled uh, Water and Spirit. And in our last series on Epiphany, we kind of focused on who Jesus was and the revelation or the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And in particular, we started that series looking at his baptism. And at his baptism, um, you hear from the cloud, uh, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And now, at that time, excuse me, at that time, there was a lot of imagery that uh, reminded us of creation, right? The same way, like the heavens were kind of torn and the story of Jesus' baptism, the, the heavens and the skies are kind of just, just taking shape and form in the creation story. Uh, the creation story tells us that the spirit hovered like a bird hovers over the water, kind of hovered over creation. And we see the spirit kind of coming down um, like a dove, we're told. And, and kind of landing on Jesus, or in Mark's account, coming into Jesus. So all of that, like, like if Adam was the, kind of the beginning of creation, then Jesus is the beginning of new creation. And Paul loves this imagery. He uses it multiple times. He uses it in Romans, where he talks about Christ being, being the last Adam. He uses it again in Corinthians, where he calls him the last Adam, or he calls him the second man. And so all of that imagery, I think, is is here, too, in the temptation story, because like the first Adam, who was tempted, the second, or last Adam, is also tempted. And how they respond to their temptations is, is key, not just for them, but for us and for our stories. Now, something about their temptations, neither Adam nor the last Adam, Christ, was tempted to actually do something wrong. Isn't that interesting? Right? Eating, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like learning right from wrong, is something that Adam and Eve would eventually do. Jesus, right, multiplying bread, um, you know, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Well, eventually Jesus will multiply bread. In fact, he does it multiple times. He feeds the 5,000. And in Mark's account, he feeds the 5,000, and then at a different time, he feeds the 4,000. Like, there aren't many stories that appear in all four Gospels, except the feeding stories do. They love those feeding stories. And Jesus, he's, he's, a, he's a bread multiplier, right? So Jesus will do that. And then the whole idea of putting our trust in God, that's exactly, of course, what Jesus does. And even if that might mean your death, well, of course, Jesus puts his trust in God and it, it results in his death. And then the last one about bowing down and, you know, you can, you can have all of these things. Well, of course, that's what we believe is, is just the case. That he's not just the Savior of Israel, but that he's the Savior of the world. He's not just the King of Israel, he's the King of the world. So whether it's the first Adam or whether it's the last Adam, what they're quote-unquote tempted to do are things that eventually they do. And it's approved. So the, the problem with understanding how this works, it's not, we're rarely just tempted 
to do something that's purely evil or wrong, because few things are. It's the context that really makes them work that way. And these stories, like last week we looked at the transfiguration. We had stories of Moses and Elijah. They seem to pop up in this story too. Like they're not named, but we're told that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And for those of you who paid attention in Sunday school when you were a kid, or you were part of the Bible trivia team when you were in your youth group, who else do you know went up on a mountain and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? Moses, exactly right. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then who else took a trip, a very long trip, from Palestine all the way to the Sinai, and on foot, that took him 40 days, and during that trip, he didn't eat. His name is Elijah. So when Jesus, we're told, fast for 40 days and 40 nights, most of the readers um, of these gospel stories would have thought, oh yeah, I remember this part of the story. Right? I remember Moses doing this. I remember Elijah doing this. Like, so all of, all of this is kind of in the background here. What I'm trying to set up for us is I want you on the one hand to be thinking about creation and about new creation. I want you to be thinking about Adam. I want you to be thinking about Moses. I want you to be thinking about Elijah. And ultimately, I want you to be thinking about Christ. And then when it's all said and done, I hope that we can also talk about what this means for us. So let's look at this first temptation. Jesus is in the wilderness. He has been led there, we're told, by the Spirit. And while he's there, having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter, we're told, comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into loaves of bread. Now, Luke will tell a slightly different story. He'll say, turn this rock into like a piece of bread. But we'll, we'll leave that for another year when we preach on the temptation out of Luke's gospel. So today we're preaching out of Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, it says, turn these stones into bread. So I don't know, how many of you have actually been to Israel? I know if several of you have. It is like the rockiest ground you have ever seen especially when you get out in the Judean wilderness. It is like a bunch of rocks that have on top of them smaller rocks. And the smaller rocks have little bitty rocks on top of them. It is rocky. Like, I'm going to date myself here a little bit. It's, it's like northern New Mexico, northern Arizona, southern Nevada, southern Utah. So if, if you grew up in the age that I grew up in, we watched um, you know, Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. Anybody else remember Roadrunner, Wally Coyote? So if you can think of that landscape, that's what the Judean wilderness looks like. Super dry, super arid, super rocky. Now for the younger people in the crowd who might not know Roadrunner or Wally Coyote, if you can imagine um, uh, Walter White and Jesse Pinkman going out in an RV, <laughs> right? We won't, we won't say what they were up to, but you know where they went and you know what that looked like. Okay, that's what the Judean wilderness looks like. Just trying to cover my bases here. So, if you're told in a place like that, why don't you turn all of these rocks into, into bread? Well, you're not talking about feeding yourself. This is not a temptation. Listen to me carefully here, friends. If you're going to walk away with something today, I need you to hear this. 
The way Matthew tells this story, this is not a temptation for Jesus to feed himself because he was hungry. I'm going to say that again. This is not a temptation for Jesus to feed himself because he was hungry. Because you don't turn the countryside into bread in order to feed yourself. If you turn the countryside into bread, you would have enough bread to feed the country. And that's exactly what he has been called to do as the Messiah. The temptation here is the temptation to be like God without God. It's the exact same temptation that Adam was faced with, right? If you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll know right from wrong like God does. You won't need God. You can be like God. Or better yet, you can be a God. That temptation now comes to the second Adam. Turn these stones into bread. Go ahead and feed the hungry. I mean, this again is exactly what Jesus will do later, right? He'll take some bread, he'll multiply it, and he'll feed this multitude of people. Feeding hungry people is not a sin. (laughs) Turning stones into loaves of bread, also not a sin. Frankly, none of you have been tempted to do that, by the way. None of you have ever been tempted to turn a bunch of stone into bread, right? It's just not a temptation that we face, partially because we don't have the capacity to do it. It's very hard to tempt somebody to do something that they don't have the capacity for. It's also very hard to tempt somebody to do something that they don't like, right? Like if you don't like fish, and I said, hey, here at Oasis, we're going to give up fish for the next month. Some of you... If you agreed to it, you made a vow, I won't eat fish for a month. My pastor asked me not to. It would be really hard. You saw that fish, you'd be tempted. Others of you would be like, hmm, it's kind of fishy. I don't like fish. I don't like the smell of fish. I don't like the texture. I don't like the taste. It's it's almost impossible to tempt somebody with something they don't like. So we're being tempted with things that we like. We're being tempted with good things, with beautiful things, with things that we're actually made for. We're, we're being tempted to kind of, with, with good stuff, right? The tempter is not an idiot. Um, the tempter is tempting us with things that are good so that we might participate in a way. So, but what's the problem? The problem is, as was the problem with the first Adam, is so the problem now with the last Adam, is that You can't do these things on your own and you can't do them in your own timing without uh, running amok. Like the last thing we need is for all of us simply to kind of know right from wrong so that we are now setting the standard of right and wrong or we are now the judge of right and wrong. Right? We We have a judge. His name is Jesus and he is righteous. We don't need any more judges. We need some witnesses. We need some people who who can see and some people who can experience and some people who will tell about that. But we we don't need that. That's the last thing we need. In fact, God said, don't even get into that. Don't mess with that stuff. That's not good for you. And I think the same thing here is with Jesus. But here's the difference between Jesus, the second Adam, or last Adam, and the first Adam, is that the first Adam gave in to that temptation. He tried to take the easy way out, right? Or we might even call it do-it-yourself. Now, I know 
to criticize do-it-yourself in our context. We are in Polk County. Like, I don't want to criticize do-it-yourself because that's kind of an all-American way, right? Pull yourself up from the bootstraps. You know, just try and figure it out. Um, my dad was a real do-it-yourself guy. My wife is a real do-it-yourself gal, right? Like, she just gets things done, right? Just go to Lowe's or go to Home Depot, watch it on YouTube, figure it out. Get it done. But here's the thing. When it comes to our faith, do-it-yourself is dangerous. In fact, do-it-yourself is impossible. And when we try to do it ourselves, we just get it wrong. You cannot, right, save yourself. And you can't save anybody else either. The only one who can transform you into the image of Christ is the Spirit of God. The only one whose death can actually save you is the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we say things like Jesus died on the cross so we wouldn't have to. Well, listen, had you died on a cross, you know what you'd be? Dead. <laughs> Your death on a cross isn't going to save you anyway. It's Jesus. That's the point. It's Jesus. And even Jesus knows that he doesn't live this human life independent of the Father. Because while he is tempted, hey, you're the Son of God, why don't you just get on with it? Why don't you just do it yourself? Why don't you multiply these stones into bread and feed these people, Messiah? And Jesus is like, well, it is written that a person shall live by the word of God and by every breath, every word that comes out of his mouth. So our life is a life of dependence. Our life is a life where we depend on God. Our life is not a life where we simply do it ourselves. And again, I think, I think the tempter picks up on that and in a clever way responds to it. Like, if... If Jesus' response is, no, I'm going to depend on God, not on myself, then we get the second temptation, which is a temptation to, well, jump, right? Jump off the temple. Depend on God. Okay, so you say you don't do it yourself. You trust in God. Well, let's see how much you trust in God. It's pretty steep right here at the pinnacle of the temple. Again, if you're... Uh, you know, growing up, I always thought they'd gotten on top of the church. And I'm thinking, what are they doing on the church? <laughs> but but the, the pinnacle of the temple, the, the temple mount, uh, the south uh, east corner of the temple mount was known as the pinnacle because it was the tallest and it looked down into the Kidron Valley. So now apparently they're not in the wilderness. Now they're at the temple. They're in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is still being tempted. And it's like, hey, you know what? David wrote a psalm that said, he will give his angels charge over you. That's also an interesting part of the story, right? Because in the first temptation, when, when the tempter says to Jesus, if you're son of God, turn all these stones into bread, and Jesus responds is, it is written, right? Then in the second temptation, when Jesus is at the temple, he's probably looking down, down that, over, the, over the edge, down into the valley. He's like, man, that's a long way down there. 
And Satan speaks in his ear. He goes, you know what David said in the psalm? Like Jesus responded to the first temptation with Scripture, and now Satan responds in the second temptation with Scripture. Man, this should give us a cause for pause, my friends. If Satan can quote Scripture as to why Jesus should try and die by suicide, then we should all be careful with how we quote Scripture. Man, that's a, that's, that's a lesson inside of a lesson. Like, yeah, I'll say that again. If Satan can use Scripture to tempt Jesus, we have to be careful how we use Scripture. Right? Because just because you can come up with a scripture for something, well, Satan came up with a scripture for why Jesus should jump. Does that mean Jesus ought to jump? No, No, very good, right. I'm glad you got that right. It doesn't mean that Jesus should jump, even though he had a scripture for it. Paul will later tell Timothy, look, don't be ashamed. This takes some effort. It takes some work, some labor in word and doctrine, rightly dividing the word of truth which suggests then that if we don't work hard at it, it's possible to wrongly divide the word of truth. And the wrongly divided the word of truth will get you in places where Satan was saying, hey, David said he'll give his angels charge over you, so why don't you just go ahead and leap? Look, several things bother me about this. One, it bothers me that Satan's quoting Scripture and that he's quoting it in such a way that it's, it's an abuse of Scripture, but it's really bothering me because it's Psalm 90, and I really like that psalm. You are my hiding place. You always fill my life with joy and deliverance. I don't know the words of this song, but I will trust in you. Is how it ends? <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, Harper. She liked that one. Look, that song about, about God being our hiding place, that psalm is the psalm that Satan's quoting to Jesus saying, why don't you jump? So I want you to hear these two temptations side by side. One of them is do it yourself. The other is let God do it all. And both of those are temptations that we have to resist. We resist the temptation to do it ourselves because we must rely on God. And we resist the temptation for God to do it all because God's not just acting on us in some kind of passive way on our part. We are called to participate. We're called to have faith. We're called to confess our sins. We're called to love one another. We're called to serve our community. This is not an either or. This is a both and. It is the work of God and it is the work of God that he has called us to participate in. The last temptation is the temptation that if Jesus would bow down to Satan, he would give him the kingdoms of the world. Which on the one hand, you might think, well, that seems kind of silly. How could you possibly give to Jesus something that's already his? It's like Watchman Nee says, he says, or she says, excuse me, she says, um, you know, the the hard part about convincing people that uh, they're loved by God is that, it's like um, trying to enter a room you're already in. Trying to enter a room you're already in is absurd. <laughs> Let's all try and enter the sanctuary right now. Let's try. Right? You can't try and enter a room you're already in. There's nothing you can do to be loved by God. You're already there. You're already loved by God. And if we could just get people to relax a bit and realize that that's the reality they're in, and they could stop, stop trying to do that, Right? 
So you might think, well, Christ already has these things. But the way Scripture talks about it, it does talk about Satan as having kind of significant power. He's referred to later as the ruler of this age. Like Jesus is like, we must depart for the ruler of this age is coming. And I'm thinking, well, who's the ruler of this age? The ruler of this age is the one who's responsible for all of this destruction. The sickness and the disease, the greed, the abuse. That's not coming from God, it's coming from somewhere else. And that's what's being conquered. But here is Christ. And he's being tempted just, I guess, by sheer force or by subservience to an evil that he might come to that greater space, that time when he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But of course, he resists that. I want us to go now and kind of close this section of the service by looking at what Paul had to say about the relationship between Adam, the first man, and Christ, the last Adam. He says this. This comes from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned where there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one, or through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Just as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. And amen. The, the, the work of Christ, the person of Christ, is not less effective than Adam. <laughs> it's more effective than Adam. And it's that work that we get to be the beneficiaries of. And this is where the story of the old creation and the new creation, the story of Moses and Elijah and Adam and Jesus comes to rest here in Lakeland on February the 26, 2023. Because we too will be faced with temptation. And some of our temptations are also temptations to do things that in and of themselves might not be bad or evil. But they could be at the wrong time or they could be in the wrong context or they could be in ways that 
are contrary to what the work that God is doing. And so we follow Christ in this one. We rely on him. It's his faithfulness that has provided our salvation. But our salvation is not just being saved from something. It's also being healed of that brokenness. It's being liberated. It's being set free so that we now can live a life like his, full of grace and truth and forgiveness and mercy and justice. We confess our sins. We profess our belief. We come in fellowship with one another. We say our prayers. We come to the table. And once again, we receive the perpetual invitation to eat the bread of heaven and to drink from the cup of salvation and to receive the very forgiveness that Christ has lived for, the welcome and the acceptance, the good news that all of this is work, the work of Christ in our lives and in our world. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.